Welcome to another episode of 20-something Experts, um, where we have our most international guest that we've ever had, one of my friends from New York, um, Carmen von Patterson. And Carmen and I met when we were both working at the advertising agency Mother New York. And thank God Carmen joined when she did, because I had a few, very few friends there. And you were kind of my lifeline when you joined, and I stuck to her like glue. Um, But yeah, so Carmen is here to talk to us about something that I think she does really, really well. And I think is such an important skill for 20-somethings and anyone at any age to learn, but is really hard. And that's having productive confrontation with people and having those difficult conversations but I will let (laughs) her tell you more about what she thinks that means um so Carmen please tell us a bit about you what are you doing now what have you been doing for the past few years hello 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 thank you for the lovely intro um I love that I'm the most international guest (laughs) I'm so into that um my name is Carmen Von Patterson as Millie was saying I'm 26 years old now. I live in New York City, but I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, love the Midwest. Um, And excuse me, I grew up. Oh my gosh, do you want me to redo that? No, 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 carry on, carry on. Okay, sorry. Okay. Hello there. My name is Carmen Von Patterson. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, but now I live in New York City and I'm 26 years old now. And growing up, I grew up between Chicago and the suburbs of Chicago. So I kind of got a mix of like the city feel, but also the slower life um, from a young age. Um, and I definitely have a soft, a soft spot for both. And to kind of get into what I'm doing now and how I got there, when I was younger, I was really attracted to stories and storytelling and also kind of the visual representation of them. So I either thought I'd be like a video game developer or a designer Um, or some sort of like graphic uh, designer or artist. And then there was always like the wild card where I thought I would be a lawyer. (laughs) I love, sorry to interrupt (laughs) you, but I love that that for you, it was the wild card being a lawyer and actually what you thought was you were going to be a video game developer. And I think for most people, it's kind of the reverse. So I think that says a lot about you. Yes. (laughs) It's really funny now. I have a sister now who is a lawyer and I'm always like, should that have been me? Like, should I have just stuck with this? I don't know, um, or really pursued it rather. Um, but anyway, you can see like, you know, when I was younger, my interests were all over the place. I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do um, concretely. I was definitely open to a lot of different things, but didn't really know how to focus in on them and kind of narrow my focus. Um, <clears throat> that said, when I went to school, I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for college. And when I went, I actually applied directly into the engineering school there. And little bit of background about the engineering school. It's actually ranked really, really highly to be, um, you know, not MIT and not kind of, you know, the USC's of the world and the different kind of engineering schools in America. So the college there is ranked really highly. And I applied directly into computer science thinking like, why not? We'll see if I get in. Didn't get in, (laughs) but I was still admitted to the university. And they were like, hey, you know, we have all the spots in uh, engineering right now are full, but go ahead and still come and just explore and kind of figure out what works for you. So that's exactly what I did. So for the first two years, I was actually undecided. And my first year there, I was like more properly, you know, pursuing computer science and still trying to get into the classes and see if it was for me. Um, And in doing that, after about a year, I was like, you know what, I find this material super fascinating, but I really don't think I want the lifestyle that comes along with it. And 
sometimes I wonder if that was an unfortunate um, realization, just because I do think university is so specific, like that time at college is, you know, so unique and so different than your experience in the working world. But I say that because the college, um, like I said, was very competitive and had really, really high standards. So me and my classmates were doing our homework, like, all the night long to then just wake up, go to class, get more homework, and then go back to doing it. And we had no time for anything else. And I really felt like it was starting to conflict with like what I wanted my college experience to be. So I decided to stop pursuing it. And at that point, my backup major was going to be graphic design. Um, But again, I had the fortune of going to a school that had a lot of really, really great programs, but the requirements for graphic design were outrageous. They wanted me to have a full portfolio of artwork (laughs) that I guess I was supposed to have done during high school. And of course I didn't have anything. So I'm just like, what am I going to do now? (laughs) And so I'm just kind of thinking it out and, you know, taking some classes, trying to just getting through like kind of general education classes, which in America were required to do at different schools. Um, so I, was, I wasn't necessarily behind in any way. I was still making progress there, but I hadn't really started honing in on what I wanted to do long-term. And so at the time I was actually working at the health center on campus. So random, um, <laughs> I needed a job and my cousin who was like, I think at that point she was about to graduate with her master's. She was like, Hey, like, um, she's in the health field. And she's like, I know someone who can hook you up with a job on campus, whatever. So I was working at the health center and one of my coworkers was actually an advertising major at the time. And she was super instrumental in kind of giving me, you know, a rundown of what advertising was, what it was like. And I was always sharing with her, you know, oh, I don't really know what I want to major in and what I would do, da 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 And she was saying, like, I think you have a really great personality um, for advertising, which was really sweet of her. And she was saying, you know, here are the reasons why, here are the class structures, here are some of the assignments we do, you should look into it. And so I did just that. And turns out I really liked it. (laughs) And so I decided to stick with it and eventually majored in it. Um, And during university, my my experience is really interesting because I had two professors who I still keep in contact with. um, And they were really influential in getting me to pick strategy out of kind of the advertising discipline. So I think traditionally, you know, there's the creative side of things. So a little bit more like copywriting, art direction, even like, you know, uh, you know, being a director of art, for example, beyond those two disciplines. Um, there's also kind of the more logistical roles like account management and project management, which also I think project management was appealing to me, but I also didn't want to be responsible for chasing people all the time and, you know, yeah, making definitely. people, making sure people were following up on things and getting them done. Um, so the other discipline is strategy. Oftentimes those are usually the three buckets and strategy for me was really interesting. So I decided to pursue it. And I had two professors going back to that who had formerly been strategists out in the real world, out in the field. And they were just so great at sharing their experiences with me and really getting me to, you know, just getting me excited about it and convince me to pursue it after graduation. And so I I don't know if I should belabor this story, but from there, essentially, I went and did some internships during my third year of college and my fourth year as well. The third year, um, I was in Kansas City, Missouri at a smaller agency called Barclay. And then my fourth year, I was in New York City. And that is where I met Millie doing my internship there and eventually stayed on full time. Um, And now I have since left Mother and I'm working at a company called Drogify. So really long story (laughs) to a very good but short question. And recently got promoted to senior strategist. So Yay! big congrats to that. Yes. 
Thank you. Thanks for telling us a bit about your background. Obviously, so interesting. And I didn't know you were that technical at uni. That's really cool. Um, I I also always think if I could go back in time, would I just force myself to do maths and physics and then do computer science (laughs) just so that I would be so employable now? But I'm like, nope, nope. I loved the humanities. So I'm going to stick with my choice, make it work for me now. But (laughs) onto the topic of this podcast. So what in your mind, Carmen, is productive confrontation and why do you think it's important? Because we've had this discussion a bit before about people that are able to do it well and, and why why we think it's a skill we want. Yeah, to me, productive con- confrontation, it's really interesting when you were you know asking me to come on here, I was thinking about what it really looks like or what it can look like. And I just want to caveat that 100% this is different for everyone. So these are definitely my definitions of it. But to me, productive confrontation is, I guess, kind of the the skill, if you will, of being able to have a civil discussion of an issue before it turns into a sustained problem, ideally. <laughs> and I do think there are worlds or situations rather where productive confrontation has to mean that, you know, it's taking place after a problem has been developed. And I use those words very um, particularly. So issue and problem, I I like to think of them, you could say they're one and the same, but I like to think about it in this context as being, you know, an issue is a very singular topic or a very singular occurrence of something, a behavior, um, et cetera, that has manifested and that you've taken notice of. And a problem is something that um, is developed from an issue that is sustained. So it kind of it, it evolves and grows into a situation that perhaps can be a little bit out of control if it goes unchecked. So that's how I think about it at the highest level. But I do think to kind of you know break that down even further, I think productive confrontation for me has come to meant, I think there are three core things that have to be kind of involved in productive confrontation. And one is that your tone is everything. It's I think it's so, I think it's so key. And I truly believe in the fact that you can say anything you want in the world to someone, but it really depends how you say it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a little bit of the strategy too coming in. um, That idea that, you know, you want to be strategic when you're talking to people and not necessarily manipulative, but you just want to make sure that your intentions are clear and understood. And I think tone is a big part of that. So for me, that's definitely making sure my tone is my everyday one. It's so funny in the last few years too, I've learned the power of having a really, not necessarily heated, but a very important conversation with someone that is confrontational while using my voice as is normal and just keeping my voice very low and very calm. Mm. And it's so funny how it disarms people. It's like, it completely throws them off. If you're like, Hey, I really, you know, I didn't appreciate the way that you were speaking in the meeting today. Can we talk about that? they're just like completely taken aback because you're so everyday and you're so calm about it. And just a quick one on that, because I guess this relates to like how well you're able to keep your tone of voice. Do you recommend Mm -hmm. having these kind of conversations straight after an issue's occurred or like giving it some time, thinking about it, then and bringing up later with someone? No, I do not (laughs) recommend having them. (laughs) directly after you've identified the issue. I think this is so key. So this is a great question. I am 100% on the side of, you know, take a break, take a beat, take a minute, however long it is for you. Some people recommend a day. 
I think it can be, you know, it's conditional depending on the type of person you are. I'm not really one to get like extremely worked up right away. It usually is like a simmering effect with me. So I usually take some time anyway away from it to kind of think. And I also, I think that's kind of my personality. Like I really like to be analytical um, and really think about why things are happening. So that's me. But I definitely recommend taking a step away and really kind of figuring out, okay, what happened that I didn't like? Why didn't I like it? why is it bothering me is it still bothering me or has it been resolved already before you just kind of you know find the person and say hey I'm going to talk to you about this I think it's so 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 key to have that time to really think about something because oftentimes you'll find that perhaps it's not even worth your time like pursuing afterwards even though you do think you know oh maybe so-and-so is out of line or I didn't really care for that situation but it's a kind of, you know, it's a one-off situation that probably won't happen again. Mm. That's fine. But I definitely recommend taking some time away and really thinking about it before you kind of dive into it. Yeah, I, I think so, so something that um, we get taught on my course is um, we have like f- feedback every Friday with every individual person you've worked with that week. And you're told, oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> so but you're told to give strengths and then development areas. And because that time is allocated, it's really useful to have that time to be able to air out any things that you you wanted to bring up that happened during the week. But I think if that time wasn't given to us and dedicated for that, then if I just did that with someone, I feel like I would be worried that I'd be making it into a bigger deal. Do you have any sort of advice for that when people are concerned about the just the act of bringing it up again makes it into a bigger deal? Definitely. So I was going to say, I think to round it out in my mind, productive confrontation is not necessarily an outcome. And I think that's super key to to define for a lot of people because oftentimes you think, oh, well, if I'm you know, having effective and productive confrontation, it means that I get the other person to realize X, Y, or Z thing or that they now feel differently as a result of this conversation. And I think with productive confrontation to truly be um, productive, the goal has to be the conversation, not necessarily the outcome of the conversation. That's so I think just so having insightful. the conversation, <laughs> Sorry, I think having the conversation, <laughs> I think having the conversation in general has to be your goal because if you're aiming for anything else, chances are you're probably going to be let down. And I also think it's not necessarily fair to the person that you're engaging with because it's, it's almost cheating them of a, a full response. And you start to kind of mentally code it as, you know, if you don't get the response that you were looking for, it's a failure or you're unhappy or the issue is still unresolved, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the case all the time. So I think that's the first thing. In your instance, I think that's a really particular setup that you all have. But I also think it's something, you know, I thought about over time, like in regards to whether or not this is something that's kind of a natural inherent trait within me or within others versus if it's something that can be taught. And I definitely do think that it's something that can be taught. And I say that because I think it's important to bring up the issue if it's still staying with you. And I think, you know, I can understand someone being annoyed with, you know, this happened literally a month ago. What is this? But oftentimes more than not, I find that people really do appreciate the fact that you'll raise a flag or say, hey, you know, like, I've really been thinking about this thing that happened. It stayed with me. I just wanted to chat to you about it. And more often than not, people are willing to engage and have the discussion, again, if your tone is every day. And also, I think, you know, the second kind of pillar is if your intention is very focused and hones in on one singular issue, most people are willing to work with you. (laughs) Um, Even though I do think it's tricky, obviously, people have different personalities and different tastes. So that plays a role into it as well. But 
I think for the most part, I would encourage you to still have the conversation and to not feel bad about whether or not that's a month later or whether or not it's a day later. I think it's Mm -hmm. still important to have it. No, it's so true. And I've got certain friends that are able to have those tricky conversations, even about our friendship. And even though it's painful in the moment, I so appreciate it. I'm so appreciative of that open line of communication compared to other friends where we don't have yeah. a relationship. And then I feel like, you know, maybe they did one thing four years ago, but it, it's lodged in my mind that they have a certain trait. And then I look for it in every instance going forward. Whereas I think it could have been like totally, it sounds like I'm really punitive when I say that, but I think it just speaks to the idea that if you have a productive confrontation with someone and you're, you allow them to air out their side or, or respond to what you've said, then mm-hmm. you kind of diffuse, you, you allow them to give you another perspective, which means you don't let your perspective concentrate over time almost. Definitely. And I think that's, it's an interesting thing to think about as well, because that really is, I think, should be the aim. Like I said, having the conversation and getting that perspective and that you know feedback or their insight or just understanding where they're coming from really is what the goal should be. And I think any conversation that gets you closer to that is useful and is productive then. Yeah, I absolutely love what you just said about productive confrontation is not about the outcome, because I think most people think it is. It's, they think it's about the resolution rather than the mm-hmm. process. But I think you're so right in that it's about the process and being able to do it and giving that other person the respect and that person giving you the respect of just hearing each other out rather than like coming to an agreement, because that can be so definitely. Um, can I ask? Do you have any examples where you've seen this go really well and where examples where you've seen it go really badly? And they can be personal (laughs) or you could have observed them from others. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I think, you know, once you decide that productive confrontation is a way of life for you, (laughs) um, as I have, (laughs) I find that. um, So I guess let me backtrack. I think, you know, growing up, I was not always someone who was very direct and was like a sharpshooter. And I think sometimes I come off that way in, in regards to kind of my, um, I guess, transparency or like my willingness to ask certain questions of people. But I think going back to what I said earlier, like I genuinely believe in the idea that you can say anything you want to people. It's really about how you frame it and how you say it. So knowing that I think, or I think I really rather over time grasped the value of that sentiment over time and really started to value not necessarily being rude or, you know, um, very direct, but I valued being able to ask harder hitting questions and very, you know, I guess, strategic ways. And so knowing that, yes, I definitely have situations. I've had situations where, you know, I thought like, oh, I'm going to bring this up to them and it's going to go so well. And that's completely gone off the rails. Um, and it's turned into a conversation that, you know, maybe I didn't even want to be having at that point. But I also think like, again, if, you know, I'm sticking true to what I believe, having the conversation is the goal. So in a way, it also was successful. Um, I think one example of a time when it was really effective for me, um, I think you know this story, we were uh, chatting about it. But one time at work, um, at one of my workplaces, I was having an issue <laughs> with one of my coworkers who actually in this situation was a manager to me. And it was a really unique situation. So we had um, we had a client who was in a different state than we were, and we had to travel to them kind of over, um, I think it was probably, it wasn't a weekend trip, but it was definitely like more than one day we were out there. So, you know, we left New York, went to the state, traveled there, and then came back to New York, probably like two days, three days max. Um, and during the time that we were out at the clients, 
um, there was a conversation that was had that really bothered me. And there was a lot of assumptions that were made um, about me as a person. And I just didn't really like it. And even though the conversation was really casual and was had in a very casual setting, completely outside of work, I remember just like getting back to New York and calling my sister and just like going off and being like, who does this person think they are? Like, you know, why do they think that they could say this to me? I can't believe that they would even think that this is appropriate. Like, never mind the fact that, you know, it was had in a, in a very casual place. I just really found it out of line. So for me, I knew instantly I needed to kind of vet, you know, vent rather with someone um, that would kind of understand me. And, you know, the sister that I'm talking about is actually the lawyer. <laughs> so she's really good <laughs> at meeting my like outbursts and being like, well, let's break it down. And what are all the factors? Um, so I called her up when I got back home. We had that conversation and she really kind of encouraged me to have the conversation with this person the following day. And, you know, to your earlier point, this conversation that we had was actually probably at this point four or five days later. Um, Because I think that the way it ended up going with the travel is that we got home on a Friday. So we went directly into the weekend and didn't see each other, obviously. And so coming back that Monday, some people might have thought, you know, oh, well, just let it go. Like, it's been a few days. It was said in a casual way anyway. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But to me, it really was a big deal. And to me, I really wanted to have the conversation. And if anything, put this person on notice that, you know, hey, like, this really stayed with me. Perhaps next time, you know, maybe you'll be a little bit more considerate with your words. That's not the goal of my having this conversation with you, but I want you to know how I'm feeling about this. And so Monday rolls around and (laughs) the person's like, oh, how was your weekend? How's it going? And I just went straight in. I was like, hey, can we talk? (laughs) In that quiet, low voice. And they were like, oh, of course, like, let's do it sat down, you know, got some coffee, got some tea, um, and started chatting. And they were completely taken aback. They thought it was a very small conversation that had been had. They didn't really think anything of it. But I think because of that, they were also so shocked, but also impressed that I had the conversation with them in the way that I did, that they were really receptive to what I was saying. So that was kind of a situation where I got both the conversation. So, you know, checked that box, but then also the resolution that I was looking for and the outcome that I wanted in that they really understood where I was coming from. And they, you know, verbally told me like, Hey, I'll try to do better. And like, not, you know, go into that territory or say those things in that way. Like I definitely realized I was wrong. Um, But I, I do feel like they really understood in respect to the fact that I was able to come chat to them about it versus being passive aggressive or kind of harboring a grudge, you know, about something that happened and they never would have known otherwise. I think that's a really good example. And I remember being really impressed that you had the courage to do that, because I think that when you're talking about um, productive confrontations, when you've got a power dynamic at work where someone's more senior than you, that can be the, the hardest instance of actually putting this it's into so practice. Tough. And I once had this with a, um, a manager before as well, where he asked me to get, well, he Skypes me, Skypes like instant messaged me in a meeting um, where it was only other guys and asked me to get him water um and like that's a delete (laughs) I hate it the thing is though it wasn't necessarily gendered because I think he would have done it to a a, like a junior man as well but um I just felt a bit like I was his personal assistant which is not what I am so anyway um I did get him water (laughs) thrust it down in front of his face but um no I'm joking but the next day (laughs) I texted him because I'm not as good at this as you so I tried to go down the passive aggressive jokey route so I texted him (laughs) can you get me water and then he um 
then he got me water. So that kind of like ruined my plan. Love that. Bringing it around. <laughs> but then we had a discussion about it because he got me water and I said, oh, I was just joking, making a reference to yesterday. And he goes, oh, was that not okay? And then I explained that it had made me feel a bit like his PA and that we were in some law Good. firm that was really hierarchical. But that, um, I really value, even though that was a really awkward conversation for me because yeah. he kind of made me feel like I had been really, like, um, his, not hysterical, but really sensitive about it. And I think he he likes to think of himself as quite like a woke guy. So he was also, mm-hmm. and I think this is such a risk <laughs> with these kind of conversa- conversations, what I had suggested he had made me feel was very anti how he sees himself. And so I think that that then played out in the defensiveness. Yeah, um, for sure. But then in the end, um, we have a really good relationship. And he is now like super... Cause I know he's so much more aware of these sorts of things, of like asking junior women to do those sorts of tasks. Good. Because he texts me like <laughs> screenshots of where he's like prefaced <laughs> other asks with way more like language. So it did have a good outcome, but maybe felt like the process of having that conversation was so awkward. Um, yeah, I think just really quickly on that, I love that story because... I don't love it that he asked you to get water, but I love <laughs> that the you world, I followed up and like told him like, Hey, even if you feel like it, you were saying like, it's a passive aggressive jokey way. I do still feel like that is productive confrontation because you had a very like unique issue in mind. And instead of sitting on it, you like followed up on it and actually did something. And like you said, in this outcome, uh, in this case, rather, you got the outcome that you wanted. And I think it's not necessarily about, you know, getting the outcome, but it's about building the skill and like getting that muscle of doing it to a place that feels good. Oh my god! And it sounds like that's exactly what you now are able to do because of that kind of very small thing, you know, like maybe it's on text the first time, but maybe the next time it's in person, you know? A hundred percent. I think that the way you've just described it is like, being able to have these types of productive confrontations, whether they're with your family or your friends or in the workplace, it's a muscle you're building. And if you are always afraid to to have them, the first time you have it will be so much, like it will be such a huge deal to you. Whereas if yeah, you're able definitely. to like get stuff off your chest as and when it happens and with whoever it happens with and in a productive way, you're far less likely to be some sort of pent up thing that's about to explode, I think. <laughs> But yeah, it's-, it's so true. It's so true. And I also think to your earlier point about this individual, like it really depends on the dynamics of who you're you know, speaking with as well. Like you said it so well, like you felt like the issue you were raising went against how he saw himself. So it really unsettled him. And I think that's sometimes the case with, you know, certain individuals, whereas other times it's just kind of like you're going against a cold, excuse me, a culture or a code, for example, like with family, like I know I've had to have really hard conversations with my sisters, people who I, you know, think I'm the closest with on earth and they've been really awkward and they've been really bad sometimes too. Um, but it is, it is a skill that you learn over time and that, you know, can be built up. And I definitely think you're totally right. The first, you know, few times you do it, it's going to feel awkward or weird, or you're going to not know what to do about it. But over time, hopefully it starts to feel more natural. Um, and so just to close off on that thought, what are some practical takeaways for other 20-year-olds that are looking to become a bit better at this? Hmm, I would say practice. <laughs> if you're not already doing this, really practice listening. <laughs> and I know that is so annoying to say, but I think in order to be a good um 
confrontational human, <laughs> you have to really get get really good at listening to people and being patient with them and letting them also voice how they're feeling about things. Because I do feel like, you know, it's easy to feel like you're, um, you know, someone's on the defensive with you and coming after you and really giving it a go if you're just kind of like, hey, you did this thing and I don't like it and never do it again. And they are like, whoa, 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 I feel this way, da, 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 da. And you're always coming back with a response and this and that. And like I said earlier, the goal is to have the conversation. And I should have said the goal is to start the conversation because sometimes it is more than one and it's an ongoing thing and you need to kind of come back to it and revisit it. And I say that because I don't always think that, you know, when you're having a discussion with someone and trying to, you know, confront an issue that you're going to necessarily have a response or that you even need a response to everything that they're saying. And I think that's, again, going back to the idea of like taking a beat and really thinking about, okay, this is how they view it in their mind. Does that sit well with me? Do I understand that? Do I have questions about how they're understanding it? You know, why do they see it this way? And I see it that way. And those are questions I think that are really valuable and important. And you're not always able to answer those in like a split second, you know, before you come back with, well, I still feel this way or whatever it is. Um, And I think the way you get better at that is really just first focusing on listening and really understanding the dynamics of a situation and what someone is communicating and also what they're not communicating and being able to read people really well um, helps with this. And I understand that not everyone feels like, you know, those are things that they're necessarily good at or that come, you know, inherently to them. But as with all of this, I do think it's something I do think it's something that can be built up over time and it's something that you can really strengthen. Um, so that'd be my tip, my practical tip. Get better at listening before you kind of dive into having productive confrontation with others. <laughs> I so agree because <laughs> it really applies to people like me that can dish it out but can't take it. So um, <laughs> I think it's an amazing takeaway. And thank you so much, Carmen, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Everyone, you can find Carmen on Instagram and LinkedIn, even though her LinkedIn profile picture is really obscure, so you won't be able to tell it's her. <laughs> but I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks very much, everyone.